I started the second season talking about the model of trustworthiness. What is it that makes a person trustworthy and therefore trusted? There are two groups of components, who you are and what you do. We started with who you are. In the last episode, the first episode of this season, I talked about competence. Competence is the professional, technical component. In this episode, I will talk about personality compatibility, the emotional component. It might take me more than one episode because this is very important. Welcome to Season 2, Episode 2 of The Trust Show. I'm your host, Yoram Solomon, a researcher of trust and the author of The Book of Trust. In this educational podcast, I will challenge you to think differently about trust through the eight laws of trust and the six components of trustworthiness. But I will not only teach you about trust, I will also give you actionable advice on how to build trust, be trusted, and know who to trust. Because the answer to these two questions will have the biggest impact on your personal and professional success or failure. Can I trust you? And can you trust me? I want to start by taking you on a trip to China. So imagine yourself on a trip to China where everybody speaks, well, Chinese or different dialects of Chinese. And it's hard for you to understand because you don't understand Chinese, but you're a part of a group of tourists and all of a sudden you hear someone speaking English. And it's not just English, it's English with an American accent. And you being American, you go there and you ask them, where are you from? And they say, I'm from the US. It's, it's your country. How about where in the US? from Texas. And imagine that you are from Texas. This is your home state. You already have several things in common. And, and you keep on asking, what city? And they say Plano. Plano is my city. So this is a person from my city. I mean, we're thousands of miles away from Plano. And here we are, two people from Plano. And where did you go to school in Plano? Plano West Senior High. That's my high school. Just think about the things that you have in common. Think about what you feel that you have in common with another person. If you're a former Navy SEAL and you run into someone who has a little Navy SEAL uh, pin on their jacket, what do you feel towards that person? There are so many things that you have in common. And if you're a former Marine and you see someone wearing a Marine pin or an Army Ranger, and for me, it's the red and green and white pin of the uh, Israeli Defense Forces 35th Airborne. Can you imagine what I feel when I see somebody else wearing that pin on their jacket? It doesn't have to be military. It could be the uh, Boy Scouts. It could be Rotary or Lions or, or any other organization that when you know that a person is affiliated with that organization that you're affiliated with or spend time with or a big part of your life or had a big impact on your life, Think about what you feel towards that other person. 
You know, I used to call this uh, component uh, of the six components when I started writing about this model of trust back in 2017. I used to call it shared values. But I just recently changed the name. I don't call this component shared values anymore. Now I call it personality compatibility. Because what I realized is that there, it includes more than just values. The, the emotional component includes more than just one values, and this is why I call it compatibility component. But when I did do one of my surveys and wanted to correlate those shared values, the existence of that compatibility, this emotional compatibility that you have with another person, what I found was correlating it with trust reached the highest correlation level of 86% with very strong statistical significance. So there is an 86% correlation of having shared values with another person and trust. It is an emotional component because really the question that we're asking is, how do we feel about the personality of that other person? And I broke it into five different characteristics, types, scope, alignment, importance, and compatibility. And I'll talk about each one of them. There are different types of compatibilities, different areas of compatibilities. One, for example, is how do you interpret things or treat things? How do you process information? You process information one way, I process information in another way. The next one is your values. What are your values? What are my values? And, and unfortunately, in this day and age, a lot of it is related to who you voted for. And, and are you a Republican or a, or a Democrat? Are you a conservative or a liberal or a progressive? And, and this kind of dictates a set of values that we almost take as a label. So I label you a conservative or I label you a liberal. And, and as a result, it comes with a whole set of values, which, by the way, is not necessarily true. So what are your values, the, the things that you live your life by? Next are what are your intentions? What do you intend to do? What, what do you intend to achieve in an interaction? What do you intend to achieve in a relationship? What do you intend to achieve when you go to work? Is it to make the world a better place? Is it to make more money? Is it to be more healthy? Is it to uh, make sure that your family has health care? Th there are different intentions and there are intentions going into a relationship as well. I even if that relationship is just one interaction, a sale or a purchase of something. Those intentions, they can be implicit, they can be implied, or they can be ex explicit. So you may be talking publicly about what your intentions are and, and really mean what you say, or they can be implied by your job or your role, or, or just uh, they could be hidden, but your intentions are one area of this personality compatibility. Next is how you act or behave. This, this is what I would call above the fold. And, and if you're not familiar with the phrase, uh, it comes from uh, newspapers. You know that newspapers, when they were thrown outside of your door or, or are put in a newspaper vending machine, they're folded in half. 
and they're folded in half such that the top side of the front page is what you see and then you have the bottom side which is what you don't see so it kind of it, it's an analogy a metaphor that was that is used a lot uh, everything above the fold are the things that you see so this is how you act this is how you behave and then there are things that are below the fold. This is the bottom half of the front page, which is what you don't see when you pick up the newspaper. And those are the things that could be implied or just could be hidden. Another area of uh, your personality compatibility or type is your personality traits. And, and many of those are being measured by personality assessments. So I'm pretty sure that at some point in your life, you took a Myers-Briggs, maybe I, I think I've taken this three or four times so far, a DISC assessment, an Enneagram, which my daughter Maya really loves and uh, made sure that I take Enneagram. And, and she started comparing how we are compatible or incompatible. Strength Finder, finder the, the Gallup uh, Strength Finder. Uh, or, or any other one. And, and I will be talking about personality and trustworthiness assessments and the difference between them and the commonalities between them in a later episode. So I'll leave it for now. But you probably know that if you took a personality compatibility, a personality assessment, such as I'll just take Myers-Briggs, for example, and I'll take one dimension from Myers-Briggs, uh, the introvert-extrovert dimension. You know that there are different types. I'm an extrovert. I took uh, Myers-Briggs three times. Every time I came as, as an extrovert and it's on a scale of zero to 30. And I was a 30, not a 29, a 30. I'm an extrovert. And by the way, extrovert is not necessarily the fact that I'm very gregarious, very easy word to say, that, that I talk a lot, that, that I feel comfortable with people. It's that I can't think without other people around me. I mean, for me to have great ideas, I always have to be surrounded by other people and, and I have to talk and, and hear myself speak and hear them respond. That, that's the, the extent of my extroversion. But which one is better, being an extrovert or an extra or an introvert? And the answer is neither or, or actually both. So there is no good and bad. And, and I'll talk more about that later. It's just that it's different. And some personality uh, characteristics work very well together. Some work very well when they complement each other. Some don't, very, don't work very well if you're different. So those are the different types of personality compatibility. Next, I'll talk about the scope. I don't know if there was a better word than, than scope for it, but, but there is really a continuum and, and I call it the good, the bad and the different. The scope starts with the universal or absolute and it ends with, ends with the personal. Uh, that is the opposite of universal, the opposite of absolute. So I'm going to take you through four kind of general layers and I'm going to start with the universal and the absolute and universal and absolute is where good is good for everyone and bad is bad for everyone so there's nobody who's going to say oh you know what that that's okay with me so I'm going to give you an example telling the truth telling the truth is universally a good thing if somebody's lying to you you're not going to trust them 
right? If somebody intentionally, not unintentionally, I mean, we have people and I've, I met people who don't tell you the truth. They tell you lies, but they really do believe that they're telling you the truth. That, that's a different story. Let's not talk about somebody who is intentionally telling you lies, intentionally lies to you. That's universally and absolutely bad. And you're not going to trust a person like that. Now, I can talk about legal things, okay? And, and initially, I thought about the fact that, that the things that are universal and absolute are also the things that are legal. So the law kind of dictates what's good or bad. But here's an interesting thing. It's easy to de describe this when you're a law-abiding citizen and, and say that uh, you expect others to, be, uh, to abide by the law. And if the law says don't steal or don't kill, then you are going to only trust people who abide by these laws. And by the way, the, the thing to worry about is maybe that specific law is not that, it's not that you have an issue with stealing, it's just that you see another person and, and you say, well, if they can break this law, they may break other laws as well, and so I'll treat these people as people who don't follow the law, and now maybe I don't trust them. But I want to put you in a different uh, context. What if you're a member of a gang, and it's a gang that, that commits burglary on a daily basis? Would the fact that another member of this gang commits burglary, or you know what, I'm going to take it to the extreme, murder, would you trust them less? Well, it really depends less on the law and more on your ethical values, and I'll get the, I'll get to that. But all of a sudden, the good or bad starts blurring, and, and you don't know what's good or bad because it, it really depends on your own ethical values or, or your ethical bar, which is, once again, why this component is the personality compatibility. But again, I, I don't want to digress too much and, and become too philosophical. I'm going to start at the highest level. And the highest level are the things that are universal and uh, absolute. So good is good for everyone. Bad is bad for everyone. I want to add that most trust and trustworthiness frameworks today focus on the universal. So there is a set of things, whether it's uh, whatever it is, I'm not going to go into details. Uh, you do them, you can be trusted, do the opposite, and you will not be trusted. But what I found is, and this is one of the unique things about my approach to trust and trustworthiness, that trust, and this is really trust laws one through four, that trust is relative. Trust is something that happens between two individuals. And uh, there is no universal set of values or personalities that will make you trusted or not trusted. The question is, how are you being perceived by the other person? So that's the scope of universal and absolute. Uh, I'll go a level below and, and I'll go to cultural. This is kind of a macro, but, but it's not universal anymore. Uh, I, I can call it pseudo-universal uh, for this specific culture. So for example, if you ever went to Japan, you will notice that 
Nobody will ever interrupt you while you speak. You will speak. The other people will simply listen. And when you're done talking, there's going to be a short pause before the next person starts speaking. You know, we typically today, uh, we speak with the intention to, and, and I believe Stephen Covey said that, that we speak with the intention to respond rather than with the intention to understand. We don't seek to understand. So halfway through when the other person starts speaking, we already start speaking. I mean, halfway through, we have already compiled our answer to what they're saying and we don't care what they're going to say through the rest of it. Now, I, I don't want to make Israelis feel bad. I am Israeli. I'm originally Israeli. And I remember getting the uh, cultural training when I worked in Texas Instruments. And one of the things they brought up was that us Israelis, you know, we don't wait until the end of the statement. We don't wait until halfway through the sentence that you're making. After the second word, we probably start answering. Can we argue whether this is good or bad, whether the Israeli way or the Japanese way are better? They are good or bad in the context of the specific culture in which you use them. So speak one way, behave one way within the Japanese culture, it's going to be completely acceptable within, within the Israeli culture, it's going to be so you don't have anything to say. Do the opposite, and you're going to simply be considered rude in Japan if you don't wait until the other person completes uh, what they say. This can be generational as well. You know, I talk about cultural, but, but generational, I'll put this as part of cultural. Uh, I ask my daughters, does it bother you when I'm on my phone texting while you speak? It doesn't. It does bother me when they do that or when other people do that. And I remember back in 2001 when I was on the board of the Wi-Fi Alliance and we were creating the Wi-Fi standards and, and interoperability, we had a meeting in Helsinki. That was the first time, I think, in a meeting that a it was an ISDN line, a broadband line, that was shared through a Wi-Fi access point among all the participants, and many participants were on their laptops. And I thought, you know, we, we can't concentrate anymore on the person speaking. We can also consider that to be rude. I know that when I teach and my students are on their laptops, I really hope that whatever they do there is related to uh, what I teach. But sometimes when I ask a question about something that I had just taught, I really quickly realize that it's not. They're doing something else and they don't pay attention. And I may consider it rude and I may not trust a person that does that. So, But this is a generational thing. The way you dress, the way you groom may have different impacts on, on whether I trust you or not. Uh, you know, maybe you're the way you're dressed. I'm thinking uh, I'm, I'm making up assumptions about you based on that. But it's something to keep in mind. The next layer or the next type of scope or, or level in the scope is situational and, and local. So now it's a lot more micro than macro. This is not cultural or generational as much as it is situational within, let's say, your company. 
Your company has an employee manual. And and I look at the employee manuals a little differently because to me, an employee manual or um, if it's if it's written uh, just as well as a code of ethics, if it's written, I treat them more as law because there are extrinsic consequences for violating them. But I'll talk about not the employee manual as much as an unwritten employee behavior, you know, certain traditions, uh, certain processes, uh, things that are not written, but this is how we do things around here. And if another person is doing them the same way that you do, then you would trust them. If another person is not doing it the same way that you do, then you may be trusting them less. This is kind of a joint perspective of people in the same situation of what is good and what is bad. And and if both people in a relationship do the same thing, and and frankly, it's whether they're doing the right thing or the wrong thing, uh, they will trust each other because personally they are compatible within that that level uh, in, in the organization. It's not shared with other people outside of the organization. Finally, the, at the lowest level, this is, you know, if I started with the good, the bad, this is the different. This is your personality. This is, there's no right and wrong here. Well, for the most part, but uh, th- there are a lot of things that you can do that are right for you and wrong for another person and things that they do that are right for them and wrong for you. We are different. We are different in that, in our genetics, whether you believe that, that certain behaviors are genetic or not, we are different in where we were born, how we grew up, our families, our friends, the school we went to, all the way to where we live or study or work right now. We are different. And, and that takes me back to the personality assessments. Uh, you know, we can be introverts, extroverts. We can have a sense of humor or not have a sense of humor. But this is really personal. And, and once again, there is nothing that says that one personality type is better than another personality type or a personality trait. And, uh, you, you know, take, for example, do you show up to meetings on time? I care. I care about that. I always show up on time. I actually actually show up early. Uh, if you served in the military, you may have heard that uh, early is on time. On time is late. Late is unacceptable. So that, that's kind of how I live my life. And I did serve in military. And, and maybe that's where it's coming from. I, I never want people to wait for me. I, I will always show up on time. And... Uh, I will not let circumstances uh, affect that. I mean, it really has to be uh, extreme circumstances that will make me late and and I could blame the circumstances. I will always blame myself for allowing, allowing myself to get under those circumstances and therefore be late. But not all people care. Some people are just late and, and that's okay. Well, Let's put these two people together. Someone like me who really cares about being in time, on time, being early, and another person that says, what's the big deal? I mean, I'm not talking about missing your flight. I mean, if you're late to your flight, uh, it's it's a pretty black and white situation here. If you're late, the plane left without you. I'm talking about showing up to, uh, let's say, lunch. We scheduled lunch, and you show up 10 minutes late, 15 minutes late. 
you may not think it's a big deal, I'm going to have a hard time trusting you because of that. Now, if I'm a stickler to that, you may have a hard time trusting me because you go, I, I don't enjoy spending time with this person because I can be late for like a few minutes and, and he's, he's getting upset with me. Procrastination. I, I'm, I'm sure that I'm going to record an episode about procrastination because procrastination has good things and it has bad things. And there are things that you can do to know when you should procrastinate, when you should not procrastinate. Uh, so I, I'm not going to say that procrastination is good or bad. It's just different. And if you're a procrastinator, it's going to drive you crazy that I'm not. It's going to drive me crazy, crazy that you are. So there are things that are very personal that they're simply different. And again, there's no good and bad here. Sense of urgency. Some people have sense of urgency. Other people don't have a sense of urgency. People who have a sense of urgency tend not to trust people who don't have a sense of urgency. And people who don't have a sense of urgency, once again, may look at people with a sense of urgency and say, you know what, those are just, uh, they're too anal. They're, they're too, uh, uh, they're, they're crazy. I, I, I don't want to deal with them. I don't trust them either. Risk takers. I'm a risk taker. Are you a risk taker? What, which one is better, to be safe or to be willing to take risk? I'm always saying uh, no risk, no reward. But other people say, I, I don't want to take that risk. I, I don't want to expose myself to something, to be vulnerable to something that, that really I shouldn't and, and have potentially severe negative consequences. How would a risk taker look at someone who is risk averse? Would you trust them? Well, not so much, because when push comes to shove and you need to take risk and you need to do something, they're going to hold back and not do it. So I, I can't trust them. Look at it the other way around. If I wasn't a risk taker and somebody else would take risk voluntarily and often, I would consider them to be reckless and irresponsible and not considering the possible consequences. Will I trust them? No. Which one is better, taking risk or being risk averse? Both or neither, but they just don't work well together. Some people are data-driven and they need 100% of the information. And some people are just intuitive. They go with their gut. Which one is better? Neither, both. In fact, I would claim that in, in a team, you'd probably need both types of people because you want to have people who need the data and bring the data in and rely on the data. And you want to have people that can see a bigger picture, maybe can be more intuitive and say, but, but I feel that this is the right thing. And even if they can't justify it uh, with data, can support it with data, they would feel what the right thing to do is and and in many cases, not all of them, actually be right. These two types of people would tend not to trust each other. People who are data-driven would drive would get driven crazy by people who are intuitive. And, and to them, these other people, they don't care about data. 
I mean, they're, they're just making assumptions. They're, they're just going with their gut instead of going and getting data. People who are on the intuitive side of the spectrum, when they look at people who are data-driven, once again, they look at them as being too anal. I mean, you're never going to get 100% of the information. Come on, it's time to go. It's time to make decisions. And those other people, they just look for another piece of data and, and they get one piece of data and maybe it's confirmation bias that they have that, that is driven. They're not trying to get another piece of data that's contradictory. That drives them crazy. And once again, we get back to politics. And, and just, you know, what, what's what's right and what's wrong? Is, is being a Republican right? Is being a Democrat right or wrong? Uh, is being conservative bad? Is being liberal bad? And, and I'm sure that even in your mind, you're looking at this and, and going, well, yeah, one of them is bad and, and the other is good. Obviously, the one you are is good and the other one may be bad. Fortunately, I don't look at it that way. I, I don't look at people who have the opposite political positions to me as bad people. And I have uh, very good friends on both sides of the political spectrum. But we're in an era where politics is getting very deep into business and into the workplace and into education and into another places where it really should stay out of. But those are things that where incompatibility, in many cases, cause a lot of issues. Before I talk about the alignment, I just did a time check and realized that I'm pretty much at the 30 minute mark and I don't want to have episodes longer than that. So as I thought at the beginning, I'm going to have to break down this episode into or this this component into two episodes. So I'll just cover uh, what I talked about so far. This episode, the second episode talked about the uh uh, component of personality compatibility, what I used to call shared values. Shared values is part of it, but not the whole thing. It is part of the who you are group of components that are part of my trustworthiness model. When I talked about personality compatibility, I talked about uh, several uh, characteristics, actually only two of them so far. The type what, what type of personality are we talking about? Values, intentions, interpretation of things, how you act or behave, personality traits, things that are measured by uh, personality assessments. I talked about the scope all the way from universal, absolute, where good is good for everyone and bad is bad for everyone, through cultural, a macro level. Uh, where things are good or bad determined by the culture, maybe the generation you're part of. Situational, uh, more local, like company level or, or small group level, uh, all the way to personal, where really there's often no right and wrong. They're just different and uh, people may get along or not get along. And more important here, trust or not trust each other based on that type of compatibility. This is the end of the second episode of the second season. I will continue talking about personality compatibility in the next episode. What would you like to know about trust and trustworthiness? Let me know and I'll make sure to answer it or find the answer to it in a future episode. I would love to hear from you. Email me at yoram at thetrustshow.com. That's Y-O-R-A-M at thetrustshow.com. If you like this podcast episode, 
subscribe to the show so you will automatically get new episodes. Rate it. Write a review for this podcast because those ratings would help others who are looking for a podcast just like this. If you're looking for more resources to learn about how to build trust, be trusted, or know who to trust, look up my online course at trustedatwork.com. Find my books on Amazon or go to my website, yoramsolomon.com. And remember one thing, the answer to these two questions will have the biggest impact on your personal and professional success or failure. Can I trust you? And can you trust me? Thank you for listening.